0: and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an
1: engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. How can we be better problem solvers in HR? And what are the approaches that we can use to sharpen our HR strategy? I'm CT, co founder of Engage Rocket, and I have with us in the studio today to help us answer these questions, Matt. Now, Matt is the vice president of human resources at Stash. He's an expert in end to end lifecycle management for employees, which is actually really code for saying he really cares about his people and their experience within the organization. So, here to tell us more about Stash is Matt. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, ET, for having me. It's an awesome opportunity to connect with you, connect with your audience. And I'm really excited to be here. A little bit about Stash. I joined Stash about a year and almost a year and a half ago. It's a financial technology company really focused on helping everyday folks save and invest for the long term. And so it's got some pretty incredible products and it's got an amazing platform that really takes the friction out of investing and saving for yourself and for your family.
1: Maybe share with us, what does the Vice President of Human Resources have to do every day at that? (laughs) Sure. It's
2: ever-changing. So you have to be nimble. You certainly have to understand what the business strategies are and what we're focused on as an organization centered around serving our customers, making sure that we're making excellent hiring decisions. We're providing opportunities for them to develop their skills, their competencies, and reducing that friction out of their day-to-day work in order to get them to deliver, whether they're an engineer, working on code, whether they're in marketing, whether they're in finance, or sitting on the HR team themselves. And so my specific area is really focused on people operations. So that's everything from the candidate experience all the way through onboarding and continuing on their journey as they are evaluated on their performance, as we offer benefit and compensation programs that really serve their needs, to really ensuring that we're developing them for for them to grow and be successful in their careers. And so all these touch points are really critical to their success.
1: It's very cool how you describe all of these as touch points. You're clearly a scientist of the people experience. Okay. And because it's, it's really important to break down that experience into these different touch yeah. points to allow you to then optimize each of them. And when you think about all of these in totality, what has been the game changing realization for you that has helped you to construct and build elite teams?
2: There's a, f- a few factors. One is the evolution of HR of going from a back of the office or back of the house operations to really having a seat at the table with business leaders around business strategy. And that's motivating because once I better understand what the business is trying to do, what are the opportunities it's gunning for? What are the problems it's trying to solve? Once I better understand that, I can build people programs that enable that success. So when I think about HR or people-based programs, I think across three different sort of pillars. There's the people themselves that enable the work to get done. There's the programs and processes that enable that to function. And then there's the technology piece. And that technology piece is the interface in order to serve their needs. Having that full scope sort of understanding and being nimble in order to meet those needs we can really be successful as a function within the organization.
1: Uh, Once you break this down into these three different components, you then have a nice framework to be able to optimize the people experience and to optimize the performance of the teams that you have. Let's maybe start with the people side of things, because you mentioned having to create almost that ideal people dynamics that process and technology aren't going to replace. And a big part of that is building trust in your team, building that safe space, which kind of underlines everything, right? How have you gone about approaching this with the teams that you work with? A couple of things come to mind. One is trust
2: is such an important factor in building a strong foundation and culture within an organization. Without that trust it is very difficult to get work done on a consistent basis. In terms of a safe space, over my tenure, it seems every year we tend to move faster. There's always the desire to really, if you're looking at a scale of speed and quality, is tipping that scale towards speed. They're not mutually exclusive, but you have to provide a safe space in order for people to be successful in that particular environment. We also expect people to test and learn, and people are going to make mistakes. We also are asking our folks to navigate ambiguity and forge new paths. And in order to do that, nothing is going to be perfectly built out and a perfect path to follow. And so when you create that safe space, you need to create some guardrails for them to operate in. And one of those things that you mentioned is, is an anchor point which people can rally around which takes some of that gray or some of that ambiguity and it really encourages long-term success when i think about about psychological safety or a safe working environment is the opportunity to learn and if you don't take the opportunity you're going to make mistakes no one's perfect if you don't take the opportunity to understand problems or mistakes that have happened then you're missing out and developing a really robust org
1: let's dig into this a little bit more because the old saying Al- always give someone a second chance but never a third <laughs> like how do you go about this this idea of dealing with failure and underlying this safe space because you can obviously as you you try new things you're going to fail and if you're not failing often enough as they say in the startup space you're just not innovating enough or not pushing the boundaries enough but at the same time there's failures and there's failures, right? So <laughs> how do you know if someone's taking the right kind of risks or whether yeah. the wrong guy for the job? It starts uh, with empathy.
2: I think as
1: a an
2: effective people leader or an effective organization, you have to lead with empathy. You have to assume good intent and when you are innovating as a startup, or even innovating as a large scale organization, maybe you're rolling on a new product, maybe you're taking on an acquisition, you have to create opportunities for folks to, to learn it and get the, actually get the work done. To your point, if you're seeing the same mistakes over and over again, it's really important to understand what's going on, what's the problem. So across my experience, there's another framework or there's another tool to use, which is defining the problem statement of why, what happened, why was that mistake made? What was the root cause of that particular issue? And you inform that with data, qualitative data, quantitative data. And then it gives you a chance to then propose recommendations to move forward, some solutions that can remove that. So if you've done that work, created solutions, and folks aren't following that process or aren't taking on that new way of working then that's a different situation but for initially making those mistakes along the way if you're doing this for the first time those key learnings are critical in order to to grow and then sharing that amongst the team I'm not saying you have to celebrate the failures you definitely want to hopefully fail fast but there are techniques in order to Escalate issues quickly in order to fail quickly, raise the issue, understand the root cause, and fix it right away.
1: I'm glad you talked about root cause analysis and, and collecting data, because I think that pulls us back up to the, the main framework that you, you brought us to at the beginning. For those listeners who are new to this, the end on cord is basically what the Toyota production system had at, at any point in the production chain. Anybody could pull a cord that would then stop production for the whole factory. And at that time, it was revolutionary because it obviously production halts like this cost a lot at the front end. But what they found was that on the back end, it actually saved a lot of time and money from having produced batches and batches of poor quality goods rather. And instead of doing that, you would then be able to solve it at the point of failure. But to be able to do that, you've addressed the the trust element. So the people side of things need to be right. Like people need to be okay and understand why we are pulling that cord, for example. Now, that root cause and data side of things, when we think about the overall people experience, and if we believe that optimizing the performance of our teams is about optimizing that people experience and, and channeling it towards high performance, how do you go about thinking about each of these different touch points in that people experience, which is the most important and then how do you go about investing in those areas uh, deliberately? I,
2: I think those touch points are fairly consistent regardless of industry. And the ability to get it right or correct it quickly is the effect of resolution to ensuring a smooth organization. Again, not every organization is going to be, there's going to be headwinds, there's going to be business challenges, but those touch points are where the employees are engaging either with each other or with the HR team or their managers. And so when I think about the employee experience, I'm thinking about onboarding. I'm thinking about how do we set that employee up to be successful on day one? A very specific example about, common problems that you find uh, during the onboarding phase is is the time it takes from like candidate offer to getting them started on day one and be productive and that can take that can take a relatively long time you need them in working on day one you need them to be here as quickly as possible you might have a gap when someone is to leave and so you break down that process into what are the tasks and activities that need to occur. So you have a signed offer letter, you need to have system provisioning, you need to have a laptop, if they're a remote worker, or if they're in an office or a laptop provision to them. And so when you break it down is what are all those tasks and activities and what can you do in parallel to shorten the time frame to get someone productive on day one? I think Related to that, so that's just getting them here, but how do you take care of that employee after they started on day one? Are you setting them up for success? Are you providing them the tools to have productive one-on-ones with their manager? Are you providing enough specificity in their role and the expectations of what they need to deliver in 30 days? As a system thinker, I'm always thinking about process. I'm always thinking about how do I enable success and how do I repeat that success? And you can do that through mechanisms. And touch points are those mechanisms in order to deliver that.
1: It sounds like one of the first steps that you need to do to think about this strategically is to map out at the high level what those touch points are. And to a certain extent, every business is going to roughly fall into that same bucket. So you have your candidate offer, you have day one, day 30, 60, 90, and then ongoing development, and then at some point exit and alumni engagement. But then I think the, the devil lies in the details for each business, right? Like how you tease those steps out and then optimize the, the process at, at each one. And do you go? how do you go about mapping the data for this? Identifying like which are the choke points in that experience that needs your attention. There's a couple of ways of doing it.
2: Journey mapping, there's a a number of companies that have, have journey mapped the customer experience. And so HR professionals have now journey mapped the employee experience to identify those touch points. You're right. There are functional areas within a business that operate differently. And there are also, if you're a global organization, there are jurisdictional or regulatory requirements across the world. But if you map out a agnostic process that then could be tailored or configured based on the specific need, if you get it 75% of the way there, and then you can layer in either a functional area portion of specificity, or a country specific requirement for that employee experience and transparently display that and show that, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. So you want to allow some flexibility. So even if you build, quote unquote, an excellent process, you have to measure how effective it's working. Mm -hmm. How quickly can we get through the process? Where are the choke points? Is it going back to the onboarding experience? Is there a choke point between when you're thinking about system provisioning, so access to tools like, say, Slack? or like Microsoft Teams or the Google suite of of tools. It's where are the choke points? Are the systems being provisioned in a sequential order? And how is that data being transferred from system to system? And could you tighten that up so you're not waiting an extra day for another data integration to occur? And so you have to be analytical. You have to get into the details of figuring out where those choke points are. And they could be slightly different for each of the organizations that are out there.
1: And that brings us to the third big pillar of strategy that you talked about earlier with technology. And I think one of the common misperceptions is let's go out there and buy this tool and then <laughs> we'll fix our process. It might have been Bill Gates, actually, who said that you, you if you automate an inefficient process, what then happens, you just get a lot more inefficiency rather than efficiency, <laughs> yes. right? And it's funny, like I, I'm running a tech company, but we're all in tech companies, but I really think that technology is probably the last thing that you want to think about. And you would, all, you would think about it incrementally as you evolve your process one step at a time, you then fit in the right technology into that stack and then build that up over time rather than trying to build that stack First, before the process, what has your experience been uh, on this? Yeah, you're, you're
2: bringing up a lot of my history working at several different tech companies. The shiny new object, let's go out and buy it and it'll solve all our problems. One of the things I think about when it comes to technology are really ensuring you have your defined requirements. What do you want the technology to do and what do you need it to do in order to drive a business outcome? When we think about HRIS systems like the Workdays or the ADP Workforce Now, you want to make sure that... It has the capabilities and features you need to be successful, and you're configuring the system that aligns with your mission, vision, and values as an organization. And if you're struggling, say you've implemented a new tool, or if you're struggling with adoption or or scale, it's really reassessing and fixing the system that you have because You don't want to waste, obviously, the time and money that went into configuring a tool like that. And so if you are looking at a new system, making sure that it's really meeting your business requirements and it's just not, you think it's just not going to solve for everything because inevitably, if you don't have the right business processes, workflows configured, a new system is not going to solve that problem. So really robust business process is the way to measure.
1: There's a nuance to this, right? Because I do often come across other HR leaders that struggle where you've evolved the process to a point that actually there's no software on earth that would help you with that process because it's so tightly defined and you're stuck yeah. figuring things out on Excel spreadsheets and you just can't get out of that because it, yeah. it's such a idiosyncratic process. So how do you balance that against taking a best of breed piece of software and then balance it with, with the, the unique needs of your own process? How, how have you dealt with this balance?
2: One is around aligning with leadership on what you want the tool to actually do and what the tool is capable of doing and exploring the flexibility in that. For example, if you are an organization that wants a large performance management process, obviously defining according to your mission, vision, values, how you define performance at your organization, how do you think about compensation and performance together? And then looking at the tool to see what it can and cannot do, because you don't want to have a mishmash of processes where you have data in two different tools that don't align. So based on whether you go with a monolithic system in HR, your classic workday, or you go with a best of breed approach that offers a marketplace like a bamboo HR ADP workforce now, it's with your with that in mind, it's designing the process that still meets the goals. You can get leadership aligned and Still does the work now. There's the old adage of disagree and commit. Again, no solution is going to be perfect, and it takes a lot of persuasion. It takes a lot of effort and really good, robust discussion to ensure that you can still meet the need in the time frame that's required.
1: So we've covered today a lot of ground in a really short amount of time, and we're almost at time. Basically, if I can summarize for the from listeners, we have people programs and processes and technology. And each of these pillars, I think what we've gotten from you is a a very fundamental problem-solving approach when we deal with this. So mapping it out at a high level, finding the right kind of data that you need to assess and evaluate your theory, and then coming back to refine that again, which I really think is useful. If you had one tip that you could give to another chief people officer or someone responsible for the HR function in the organization on what they need to do to improve the way that they think about uh, these three components, what would it be?
2: If you're at a leadership level in HR, more likely than not, you lead with empathy. I think if you couple empathy and trust with mechanisms that defines how work gets done, that is a pretty powerful combination and, and make that available and transparent to the employees work will become much more robust. They'll reduce the friction and people understand what's expected of them and and actually how to achieve it. When I think about self-service is taking advantage of of tooling and mechanisms in order to self-serve so people can be successful. So leading with empathy, building a sense of trust, and really providing mechanisms in order for them to be successful in their role.
1: Thanks so much for sharing with us today, Matt. If people want to find you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
2: I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to look up Matthew D. period on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you folks and continue the discussion.
1: Thanks so much for hanging with us today. And for those of you who are listening, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please do drop us a review and tune in the next time on the HR Impact Show where we'll have more great leaders sharing with us their best practices around building great organizations.